1: Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today, DFS. My name is Sia Najad, and we are continuing our off-season series highlighting DFS, game theory, strategy, player analysis. We're actually going to be doing a little bit of all of that today, and we're doing it with my good friend from windailysports.com none other than Nick Brettwish. He goes on Twitter as Sticks Picks. that's at Sticks Picks. S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. Nick, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing awesome, Sia. Thanks a lot for having me. It's uh, pretty exciting to start doing all the season-long fantasy football projections, starting to look at props that are releasing every day at these uh, legal sports books. So it is a very busy time for me, especially with kind of the, the overlay into golf and getting ready here for the FedEx playoffs and everything like that. But I'm super excited. Got a couple home league drafts coming up in the next two weeks. So I, I couldn't be more ecstatic, and I know you got your Vegas trip coming up too. So football season is upon us, and everybody's at camp. It's a good time. Let's get after it.
1: Yeah, this is the perfect time because we actually have players at camp, like you said. In sticks, I should note that you you, you brought up PGA, you brought up golf. So for Win Daly, you're you're not only the NFL guy, but you're also one of our PG one of the PGA guys as well. You're co-host of the Better Golf Pod. That's B E T T O R golf pod. You do that with, of course, uh, Spencer Aguiar. But part of the reason I wanted you to come on to the show was you have this NFL DFS Bible that you authored a couple of years ago. It's not some long manuscript. It's a, it's a it's a, short and sweet article that I think really has a lot of application to every single DFS player, whether they're playing NFL or not, but specifically to the NFL. So that's what I want to talk to you about today for the most part. But I, I on the front end, I want to ask you about some of the breaking news with the uh, with the NFL, and on the back end, there's some players, some hidden gems that I know you wanted to highlight that we might be able to play in our DFS lineups early in the season, and so I, I want to talk to you about some of those guys too, but let's talk about Julio Jones real quick. Tell me about where you think that impacts the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and how you think it might impact the existing receiving core. Of course, that's Mike Evans, it's Russell Gage, and... Chris Godwin, depending on when he gets back.
2: I don't have a ton of thoughts on Julio. I think no matter what defenses are going to respect the name, especially for the four or five games that he does have a healthy hamstring. And we saw AJ Brown really kind of erupt with that going on in Tennessee last year. He's still Julio Jones. I know he's getting older, obviously the injury prone and everything like that, but I, I am interested to see what Tom Brady can do with him. Tom Brady obviously wanted him. This is not like the Bucks GM going out of their way. Just say, hey, Julio's out there. He's probably cheap. We can, you know, get him for pennies on the dollar in comparison to what we know of Julio Jones. Um, you got Russell Gage on the inside, and obviously Mike Evans is going to get his 1,000-plus yards, you know, A-plus touchdowns like it seems he does every single year, no matter who is taking the snaps back there. But they did need outside help. I think it. what it shows is they don't really love Tyler Johnson. I know you and I both – we're kind of into him some weeks in the last two years, especially during the injuries of all the Tampa Bay wide receivers we've seen in the past two years. But I don't think, like, I don't think there's a ton of, there's definitely no season-long value in my opinion to him. I think maybe you play him early while he's healthy, and the weather's warm. Obviously, he's playing in Tampa when the weather's warm. But you know, I don't know. I just, I'm trying to force what I feel about Julio Jones. I just think it's interesting. It's another weapon for. Tom Brady, of course, but I think it's more so to kind of deflect some coverage away from Mike Evans because that's certainly Tom Brady's guy and is going to be all year long.
1: I totally agree with that and perhaps deflect some coverage away from Russell Gage too. I, I think, you know, when this news came out, I think a lot of people said to themselves, okay, this sort of depletes the value of Russell Gage. I actually completely disagree. I, I mean, I, I think in terms of targets and things of that nature, you know, maybe there's some consideration there, but in terms of, in terms of redraft leagues. I think his value sinks a little bit, and, and, and that creates even more value in terms of when you're drafting him. And in DFS, I think early in the season, what you're going to see, because Chris Godwin's not going to be on the field week one. We we pretty much know that. He's not on PUP right now. He That means maybe he comes back before week four, but maybe not. People have setbacks. He hasn't really started cutting yet, as far as I can tell. So Chris Godwin's going to be on the shelf the first few weeks. You're going to have Mike Evans, and I'm speculating here, Nick, you're gonna have Mike Evans priced at like you know seventy one hundred dollars in the in the first few games, and because of Julio's name, you're gonna see him at like probably fifty eight hundred or fifty five hundred, some something where it's respectable, but it's not it's not too much, and that's just going to automatically relegate Russell Gage to like the low fives, or maybe if it's just a misprice, the high fours. I I really think in DFS people are going to be down on Russell Gage early because they're not really going to know what Julio's impact is. This this guy got a $30 million deal over three years. He was probably also recruited specifically by Tom Brady. He is a Healthy Russell Gage, who did really well on the Atlanta Falcons, who didn't pass nearly as much as Tom Brady did. Of course, he led the league with 700 and some uh, pass attempts. What are your thoughts there, and specifically with respect to Russell Gage? Are, are you just out on him in general, or are you liking the value that's developing
2: no, I definitely love Russell Russell Gage. And I think you'll see the ADP kind of creep down a little bit, like you just said, because Julio's there. Not everybody is as, you know, people don't have the time you and I do to study football all the time. But people are gonna see Julio Jones there. Okay, that's less targets for Russell Gage. But typically the slot for the slot guy for Tom Brady, no matter who he is, is a fantasy goldmine, especially in PPR league. So yeah, I was actually projecting um, gauge to be priced at 4,800 week one. So it, it is a Sunday night game. So it'll probably be a showdown. Maybe you put him at the captain or something like that. We're already talking about DFS showdown. So it is football season, but no, I, I love Russell gauge that you saw Tom Brady go exclusively to Godwin late in the season uh, in those same seam routes in the slot. I think that's Russell Gage. Obviously, Tom Brady saw something he liked about him because you're not coming to play with Tom Brady and you're not coming to start on the field with Tom Brady at this age if he doesn't trust you. So, obviously, he he passed the eye test and the film test for Tom Brady, and that just that's enough for me to buy in, especially at the ADP that we're going to see with Russell Gage.
1: Nick, I'm not sure I heard you correctly, but did you just say you have projections and estimates as to what DraftKings pricing should <laughs> be for week one of the NFL season?
2: I do. I don't know how tried and true the system is. It's my, kind of my first year of doing it because I'm starting to picture who I, you know, we could get into who I'm, who I think I'm going to play week one of DFS right now, who my like sneaky stack is and all that. Can, uh, we, do little, can, can
1: we do a little bit of that at the end of the show? Because I Absolutely. Think that's yeah, I'd love to. Teaser. Yeah. We've had, Nick, we've had um, so many people on Josh Larkey, Andrew Erickson, Chris Towers, um, Chris Spaggs, so many. And so we've talked about week one a little bit, but none of us have actually speculated as to pricing or we haven't really gotten into stacks other than the obvious ones that, that the four o'clock games where, of course, you have Kansas City and Arizona and, and some of those uh, the, the, the Chargers and the Raiders. Like So we've speculated about those stacks, but if you have some sneaky stacks and some sneaky value or... Prices that you want to speculate with us at the end of this after we go over your NFL draft Bible. I am all ears on that. That sounds fantastic
2: absolutely yeah if you if you want to throw up early i do got a, a quarterback wide receiver stack that should be 9k or below combined so wow it'll be it'll be interesting
1: <laughs> this is okay so everybody stay tuned for that this is fantastic a couple other guys i want to talk to you about before we get into your uh, nfl dfs bible uh, michael thomas is back at practice so i think that's interesting you know i saw him on the field today i only saw like one or two routes that he ran he looked fine. I don't know that he was cutting super hard or anything like that. I don't know if he's completely shaken off the ankle injury. I'm just really curious what your thoughts are with the Saints in general, whether that be the passing game, Jameis Winston, or is there a receiver? Are you big on Chris Olave? I'm not personally super big on Chris Olave. Is Marquez Calloway in the conversation, whether that be for redraft or whether that be maybe uh, some DFS surprises with Marquez Calloway, or are you in on Michael Thomas?
2: I'm having a hard time handicapping this offense. I do have a uh, a very high ceiling for Chris Alave. I It's more so like I really trust Pete Carmichael. He's an offensive coordinator for the Saints. He's, um, you know, he kept his job once uh, Sean Payton left. So I think that they have a ton of trust in him. I don't really trust... Jameis Winston, it's hard to say, but I, I really want to see what happens with Kamara. It's really hard to project that offense if Kamara is not going to be around due to the legal issues going into the season. I don't really know what they're going to do there. I'm not educated on that whole situation, so I don't want to speculate or anything like that. But Michael Thomas, I, what's his ADP? I haven't looked. Last, I think I saw round six last night when I did my best ball. I do a best ball like every night before bed. That <laughs> Instead of reading a book this this time of the year, it's, uh, <laughs> it's doing a best ball. It's the only sure, way to do it. The, yeah, it's like if they don't have Kamara, I think that helps them a little bit because they were very hesitant to throw the football last year. I believe they were under 30 pass attempts or 30 expected passing attempts in the the 80-mile that I run over at Wendaley Sports. And I believe if I pull it up right now, yeah, 29.6 pass attempts per game. So I really don't want to invest in that when not a whole lot changed. But if they don't have Alvin Kamara next year, I think they're going to see Carmoke, Carmichael and Jameis Winston with another year of practicing. I think that they'll probably air it out. They obviously you love Chris Olave. They brought in Jarvis Landry, who I'm definitely interested in at a low ADP. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Jameis does chuck the ball downfield. So you got to have that guy that runs a go route. But Michael Thomas really isn't that guy. So that's where I kind of lean the Olave route. Obviously, Marquez Callaway's a burner, too. But I don't know. He really didn't seem to have a good chemistry with Jameis last year and only had like three, four targets a game. I, w- I would certainly want more out of that. And I think they invested so much in a lobby to get that guy the ball
1: seven, eight times a game. That's certainly true from from the investment standpoint. Okay. Speaking of not airing it out, there's one other guy I wanted to ask you about, and he is uh, apparently maybe the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. That's Geno Smith. I only say that because it looks like when camp opened, he started with the ones. Now tomorrow could be Drew Locke that starts with the ones, but either way. Uh, We're not drafting these guys. We're not playing them in in DFS most likely unless it's just an incredible matchup and, and these guys really flash early in the season. I'm curious what you think about DK Metcalf, whether it's redraft or DFS, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. Is there any value on this team outside of whoever the lead dog is at running back? Obviously, that would be Rashad Penny or Ken Walker.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard for Penny to lose his job with how productive he was last year, but this is another team that just refuses to run the football. I think that's half the reason, you know, if not more, the reason that Russell wanted to get out because he's such a talented passer and moving out of the pocket and that offense just wouldn't let him do it. So, you know, Carroll's going to run the football. He's got the dual headed monster of, you know, Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker, as just said so. I still love DK Metcalf. I think he's, you know, you can't cover him. Like, I know Mike, uh, Michael Thomas's Twitter handle is can't guard Mike, but you really can't card DK. So that's, he's my favorite receiver in the NFL. I absolutely love watching him. He's not a body catcher. Like he was in college anymore. Learned how to use his hands, learned how to use his athletic ability and he could beat double coverage. Like it's nobody's business. So I, it's just like Geno or Drew Locke. I I don't really like it because I don't see this team pushing the press or pushing the pace in a lot of games this season and just relying on that defense and running the football. So if DK Metcalf is sitting there in round five, I think the name value still will probably alleviate those possibilities. But if he is there in round five, I think I'd take the chance just for the the pure touchdown upside. Like when they do get in the red zone, they're probably going to scheme to get him the football. But I don't know. I I do not like that situation at all in Seattle. I don't know what they're doing. It's not like they're even in a rebuild. So it's really hard for me to handicap that offense or handicap anything positive for that offense. Other than that, it's like, okay, if you want a running back that's going to get 15 touches, that's going to be Penny. If you want a running back that's going to get 12 plus touches in a late round, it's Kenneth Walker because they're going to split time and they're going to run the ball 30 times a game. (laughs)
1: That's right. That's right. All right. So let's get to it. So at the end, we are going to talk some DFS because I am so intrigued by these values that you've already placed on these guys uh, week one. But let's get to the heart of the matter, which is your NFL DFS Bible, which is available at WindDailySports.com, of course. Let me ask you just right off the bat, and I know that the cool thing about this is you wrote it a couple of years ago, but obviously it's withstood the test of time. This is something you sort of model a lot of your week to week, your DFS investment in, what prompted you to write it in the first place? So this was like right at the heart of the COVID shutdown
2: and my day job at that time, we went on furlough and everything like that. So I was like, okay, this is when I started to build the 80 model too. I was like, what can I do constructive with my time? Because we know sports were eventually going to come back. They canceled golf for like a month or two. Baseball was done for a month or two but you knew football was going to come back. There's just too much money in this sport for so many different industries other than just DFS betting, all that, that, you know, football goes way deeper than most sports do. So I really wanted to start working on how I could make a better projection system, more so on the player prop side, because those markets were starting to flourish as more sports books were coming to Illinois, where I live at that time. I think when I wrote the article, there was one sports book in the state. And then when the football season kicked off there was like six or seven different options so price shopping and player props that's kind of what i was going for and to educate my friends on dfs because a lot of people you know i'm not a huge screenshot guy if it's only like two three x roi anything like that like i I don't like to play that game on twitter if it's big or if i have a funny million maker loss story like the open championship i'll share that with the public that's cool but I really wanted to show a lot of my friends. Like they send me screenshots. You know, they put in let's just say normal average Joe guy. They're putting in a hundred bucks and they got like sixty bucks back. And they're like, "Wow, I had a lot of good players." I read your article. How did you do better than I did? And I look at their context selection and their maxing or you know ten entries in the ten dollar millimaker maker. That was a hundred dollars of entries and they only made sixty back. So, I really wanted to start to actually show what I go through because when I started playing DFS, I was that same player. It's like how much can I afford to put in a million millionaire maker this week? And then maybe I'd play a three entry max or something like that. I didn't really know what single entry was. I looked at the prize pools. I was like, Oh, well that's not a million bucks. That's only 10 grand the first, but you're also playing against a thousand people in comparison to a quarter million people. So I I'm kind of talking in circles here, but I think that's what really, struck the nerve for me to write it as okay I know like my friends aren't the only people that are struggling with this I've met so many people that are great football minds love season-long football they're great at season-long football I just can't figure out daily and that's kind of where I started going about all right what contests are you playing they're all doing these gimmicky millionaire millionaire maker uh, contests and those are fun too like don't get me wrong but Um, long story long, that's, that's kind of what started this was COVID and then seeing all my friends from the past couple of years, how they lost and how they're like, well, how are you winning? I'm winning, reading the same article. And we see it at, at daily too, or any DFS website out there, there's plenty of members out there that like, well, I played Antonio Gibson and I didn't win any money. You played Antonio Gibson and you won $2,000, like just stuff like that. So it's like, okay, I want to be as clear and transparent as I can with how I play DFS once I started to figure out DFS, I'm not saying I'm a god or anything like that, but I've had very successful years, multiple in a row. And I used to get crushed when I first started because, again, I was playing the gimmicky tournaments. I was playing super chalky players and stuff like that. We'll get into player pools and all that as we go on through this uh, this podcast here. But, yeah, I, I hope that answers what sparked it. It was mainly to help people is because I, I love educating, and I know you're the same way. I think you and I at Win Daily, we'd rather see – people win money than us you know personally win money winning money is great obviously what you know feeds our families does everything we want to do in life but when we like when i see someone i talk to in discord that day come up with a lineup that won you know life-changing money or year-changing money for that person or that family that's that's the best feeling there is and i think that's the most fun part about dfs is you can win life-changing money or year-changing money and i just love seeing that
1: it sounds cliche. It sounds contrived, but I a hundred percent agree with you. We've had this conversation before. Where when you see a screenshot, I don't know, why, I I can't explain it. But when you see a, a screenshot with you know somebody who because of your picks they hit really big, it hits so much differently than when you hit yourself. It just oh, does. 100%. You are just so much more elated. It's it's just one of those things. Um, it's it, not that it's indescribable, but it's it's a, it's an obvious gap between seeing somebody, you know, benefit off your picks versus you benefiting off your own picks. So so let's get to it. I'm so glad you're on the show now because we are essentially, you know, 6 weeks away from the NFL season starting and I think a lot of people ask themselves the same questions that you were just kind of pontificating about, which is, hey, I'm, I know a lot of football. I listen to all the right guys. I play the right players. But for some reason, I keep depositing instead of withdrawing on DraftKings or FanDuel or wherever they're, Yahoo or wherever they're playing. And they go through the same cycle every time. And, and they don't really ask themselves the question. They're not super introspective about all right, well, what can I actually do differently? So let's get right to it. The way I understood your article, you basically have three rules. Um, And the first one is bankroll dispersion. Can you talk to us about that?
2: Definitely. So for easy math, let's say, you know, you're... 30 years old, you're married. I'll just give you my situation. 30 years old, married. Now I have to run my bankroll by my wife a little bit. Not not too much because you know we've had some good weeks or whatever. But let's say, like financially, you want to plan out the whole year, or at least half the year, in my opinion. And same thing for sports betting. Like, there's so many all these advertisements for sports books, all that, like it's great, but there's not a whole lot of education that actually goes out there. Like for betting, what is a unit? For DFS, what is my weekly unit? So for easy math, let's say I have $2,000 to play NFL DFS this year. Let's, you know, like if I lost that money and it burned away in a paper bag, that's okay. That was my DFS money. We'll survive it. We'll keep paying the mortgage, whatever the case may be. So I got $2,000 to play DFS all season long. That's let's say there's 20 weeks of NFL DFS quality DFS, I guess. So I'm going to play a hundred dollars a week. Right? So for me personally, um, I, I guess this is what I think has made me most successful in terms of ROI was finding my type of contest that I really like. So for me personally, see, if maybe you're a great 150 you know, max multi-entry player. You should put your bankroll more towards that. And I play 150 now as well, but I was never successful at that for multiple years. So when I started looking and actually tracking my results, I was significantly... Like my ROI, my only portion of ROI when I first started was single entry cash games tournaments is like I'd hit one every eight weeks. And it was like, all right, cool. And I get that money back through the next four to six weeks. So I really figured out my sweet spot and that was single entry cash games. And anybody listening, I would if you don't play those, I would highly recommend it or highly look into it and see if you're that type of player. But it's so much safer. You only have to beat 49% of the field to cash. You double your money. It's not sexy. You're never going to win a million dollars doing that, even if you played every single 50-50 on draftings that there was. But playing single entry, so that is my lineup against Sia's lineup, against whatever the contest field or the size of that contest field is. And that's 50% of my bankroll, let's say. So $100, $50 right away, whether it's one dollars single entry cash game, 225s, you get it. And then 30 to 40% is going into single-entry GPPs. So this is kind of goes back to the point I just made a couple minutes ago. Instead of my friends putting 10 lineups in the Millionaire Maker with 250,000 entrants going against them, let's find a GPP that has 100 to 1,000, somewhere in that range or whatever your sweet spot is. Again, these nar- numbers are kind of arbitrary. Let's see what, you know, look at your stats if you're listening to this. Look at your history. When do you do good? When do you do bad? Find a contest that is way less of a field in single entry again that is 30 to 40% of my bankroll and then the other 10% left over 10 to 20% will go into mass multi entry contests and for me you know again dfs should be fun putting 10 bucks in there with the chance to win a million dollars is always going to be fun there were a couple single bullet winners last year people that did not make 150 lineups guys like me that do that like your one lineup against my 150 and, you know, Osmo's 150, all these big time DFS players, like it's going to be very hard to beat them if you're only single entering. So that's why when I was single or, you know, 10 entries, still multiple entries, but against other people's 150s, I don't have an edge there. So that's when I started, again, investing that uh, bankroll into single entry uh, GPPs there. But 2X min cash, remember that. So we can talk about that if you want to.
1: Okay. So let's, let's, I do want to talk about that. Let's recap what you just said from a dispersion standpoint. So you have, correct me if I'm wrong, 50 to 60% in single entry cash games of your bankroll that week, 30 to 40% in smaller field, single entry GPPs. You want to define what the parameters of smaller field GPPs? So for
2: me, I I love like, so I play higher stakes contests and everything. So I love the Thunderdome. It's a single entry contest. There's only like, I I don't know twenty people, 26 people. I don't really remember the, I'll, I'll pull up my numbers, I guess in the future, but I love GPP contests that are usually a hundred to 200 people or less because you don't have to be that contrarian. So my player pool, when I play a tournament like that, I may play, I don't know who's a week one chalk running back. I'm sure it's going to be Jonathan Taylor against Houston, right? He's going to be, let's say he's 50% owned. I'm okay playing Jonathan Taylor in a tournament like that, I may be okay playing him. It all depends on, you know, the projections and everything that I dial up at at, with the model and everything. But in a thousand to 2000 to 250,000 man tournament, like the Millie maker, I think that's more of a landmine is avoiding guys like that. And we could talk about this, probably do a whole nother podcast on different types of contests. But when there's only 200 people in the tournament and single entry, you don't have to be that good to cash. Most of these tournaments pay out 20% of the field and you really only need to get different with like one or two guys. So like someone that I probably love week one of NFL DFS is like McCall Hardman. I love him in any format. I've always loved him. So I can't quit now, especially <laughs> when tyreek has gone and I'm assuming Hardman gets the, the X spot there and gets to run all the Tyreek routes. But like I could play a ton of chalk and just use a mid tier guy. like McCole Hardman who has all the upside in the world week one, my opinion, that could be dead wrong, but like, you don't need to get that different. You don't need to stack, you know, the the Philly-Detroit game and go like a, with a five percent own Jalen Hurts and a five percent own AJ Brown and a two percent Devonta Smith and stack them and run it back with a Monroe St. Brown. Like, I don't know if I'm getting too much into the week once slate. Like, you don't no, have to do stuff like that in these smaller field GPPs. So, to summarize again, I make a long story long. I'm sorry, man, but to summarize. <laughs> You just your margin of error is so much wider, I guess, in these smaller field tournaments. You're never going to win a million dollars with a with a mistake in your lineup. It's just never going to happen.
1: Exactly. And which is why you're emphasizing that Eagles game, which, you know, not a lot of people are going to be on if you're playing the main slate because of there's like three or four other games that that are are. Probably yeah, everybody's going to those
2: two afternoon shootouts with a 53 point total, definitely.
1: Right. So, yeah, in, in a big 250,000 person tournament, you might want to play a stack like that with Jalen Hurts and, and Devontae Smith and, and, and whatnot. So, I get that. So, that's 50 to 60% single entry cash games, 30 to 40 in single entry GPPs. And then it sounds to me like fun money, like zero to 10% of your bankroll per week. Throw it in the Millimaker if you want. Have some fun.
2: Definitely. I plan on most likely losing that money. So, and, and then maybe that's not a great process to have, but for me, because I, I always expect my cash games to, to make the pay line. I do so much research on my cash game lineups and mainly the only times I lose is due to injury or just crazy variants that just didn't go your way. Like week one, you're, I'm assuming the the highest owned quarterback is probably Justin Herbert. Like he's probably a staple in my cash game for week one. I don't care about ownership, but for the most part, I want to go with the majority of the people and, you know, let's say... Again, for easy math, sixty percent of the field is going to use Justin Herbert in cash games on Week One. If he goes off for thirty points and you don't have him, you're done. Like you're unless you have a, another quarterback that goes off. But let's just say no one else. He's the QB one on the slate. Everybody saw it coming, and it happens. Like you just eat that chalk and you go with it. You don't need to avoid the landmine in cash games. So. Hopefully that helps as well as just like the player pool differentiation in single entry cash games to any sort of GPP, I think is a huge difference. And it really helps kind of spread your risk as well. If you're playing different guys in cash than you are in in GPPs, I think that helps you, too.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to get to rules two and three, and we are going to touch on that 2x rule that you just uh, spoke of. But first, we are going to take a break and hear a word from our partners.
0: From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive thirty-five percent off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link: Taylorbrands.com/sports. That's tailorbrand C B S sports So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands
1: And we are back with Styx Picks. You can find him at Styx Picks. That's S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S, otherwise known as Nick Bretwish. He is from windailysports.com. We just went over rule one, which I think is incredibly important, bankroll dispersion. Let's touch on rules two and three real quick. What is rule two? I have it written down as more exposure to single entry cash games.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's basically the main, the main part of my bankroll is finding single entry cash games that have at least a hundred entrants and no more than like 3000 seems to be the sweet spot for me. Again, I've looked at my results, the larger the field, there's a little bit too much variance, but the shorter the field, like a head to head, I'm not a head to head guy. Maybe if you're out there listening and you crush head to heads, do it. I just have had no success doing it. I've had like one, two good weeks and I continue to do it and then I lose six in a row. So it's like, that's not for me. Why would I want to invest there if it's just not returning any money for me? So I've seen to have better luck when there's at least 100 people. So there's, you know, people aren't playing the same lineup. I know we saw the lineup trains the last couple of weeks. And again, that's probably a podcast for itself for the last two years when people seem to be using an optimizer, using the same lineup and like 20 guys are coming into a contest. Well, to avoid that, you probably can't do it on FanDuel because I think all their double ups are, or cash games are only 100 people. But on DraftKings, you could find cash game contests that go up to like 10,000 different people. So you're never going to get that big of a lineup train that essentially sets the pay line, whether you're going to get paid or not that week. But yeah. So, so that has been a saving grace for me is just sucking in my pride, not playing GPPs every single week for all of my bankroll dispersion for that week. It's really diversing into cash games because they're so much safer and you make two X ROI. And a lot of these GPPs too, if you played a $25 GPP, a lot of like the min cash spots pay out like 35 to $40 to me, that makes no sense. Why would I like, if you don't win first or second, third, fifth, like other than that, there's really no benefit to playing those GPPs. So anything that I like to play, we'll get into that point, I guess next, but, for those cash games, I think just having a chance to 2x your money to only beat 49% of the field, especially if you subscribe to content. If you're watching videos like this, you're obviously very into fantasy football. You probably read a ton of articles and stuff like that. So, I think with the guidance of the Win Daily Sports team, especially reading the cash game uh, checkdown that I do write every week, I, I find it hard to believe that people would fail to make money in an NFL DFS season if they are putting at least 50% of their weekly bankroll in cash games. Because worst case scenario, You should break even because 50% of your money is going to get doubled up in the cash game, and maybe your GPPs just don't go well that week.
1: And one thing I noticed from your article is you said... A minimum of a hundred entrants in these single-entry cash games, and a maximum of three thousand. My question, first of all, is is that rule still good? That's my first question. But but second of all, when you get to the 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 bigger ones, have we evolved to a place in just NFL DFS where you you can't just play the you can't just ride the chalk that you have to get a little bit different in the bigger cash game contests? Let's say the ones that are three thousand deep, or is it the I think- or is the opposite true?
2: I think it's more the opposite. I will always get different on at least one to two players. I'm not just going on, you know, ownership projections and playing the top, you know, like if in the top, I guess, six percent or nine percent nine ownership guys sorry i can't talk right now but mm-hmm. when there's a hundred people or let's say you're on Fanduel and you see these lineup trains of 40 people with the same lineup i think you just got it to get different like you can't i wouldn't join the train i'd try like essentially it's a head-to-head at that point it's like i'm either beating the lineup train to set the pay line or i'm losing to me i just don't play cash games on Fanduel anymore because of that but for DraftKings, I really haven't seen it that bad. I've seen it a couple of contests last year that had like, you know, at most 15 people with the same lineup. So if there's at least 100 entrants, I don't think that'll affect you a lot. But yes, I think it's starting to move for me that I want at least, you know, 500 to 1,000 entrants in the contest for a cash game.
1: And just to be clear, when you say lineup train, are you essentially referring to just a bunch of people that are on the same site hitting an optimizer button and it just churns out? a lineup and every, everybody because they're they're on that site they're on that optimizer they just are submitting that lineup into the absolutely
2: game. yeah 100 percent that's that happens i've noticed it so much over the last two years and DraftKings and FanDuel don't seem to really care that's that's their business i'm not going to complain about it because you can't beat it you could you know just run that optimizer you know what the lineup's going to be change it up a little bit to some you know somewhere you think you have a a better expected value but yeah it's uh it's a little weird to me and then one other thing for cash games is not stacking in GPPs. We talk about stacking. If you're watching this video, you probably heard that a thousand times, but not stacking in cash games helps so much in my opinion, because let's say I do go Keenan Allen or uh play Justin Herbert week one. I don't want to play Keenan Allen because if Herbert does not have a good output week one and he's the chalk quarterback and everybody's using him, most people will stack him with Keenan Allen. If Herbert's not having a good game, Keenan Allen's not going to have a good game, right? So instead of one deadline of spot, now you got two, And in cash, you could probably survive with three dead lineup spots. You don't obviously don't want that, and you really don't want to miss the quarterback position either, but you're kind of spreading out your risk as opposed to GPPs. We could talk about how we build GPP lineups and everything. You're obviously condensing your lineup pool a lot to one or two or three games.
1: Gotcha. All right. So let's go to the third rule, um, uh, consistent contest selection. What do you mean by that?
2: So there's – in PGA too, just any DFS you play, you could look at where the pay line is. So there's $200 or $100 tournaments out there right now on DraftKings that min cash. So you, let's say you make the pay line, but you didn't really get up to the top 10, top 20, whatever the case may be, it depends on the field size. It only returns $150. So for me, I don't enter those tournaments. I want at least 2x the entry fee. So if I'm putting in $50 in a GPP, if I'm min cash, I want $100 back. So there's tons of gimmicky contests out there that don't do that. So I would always make sure you check, you know, I'll go to DraftKings right now and see what the actual steps are. Go to contest details, right? And just go to scroll down to the minimum payment out there. Make sure it's 2x your your entry fee. I think that. In terms of a 20 week season that we established earlier, just doing that every single week and over the years that you're going to see a much higher return on your investment. Obviously, your players need to be good and everything, but just giving your money the best chance to make your more money, in my opinion. So,
1: And I'll tell you, so last season in the preseason, uh, me and Mike McClure and Frank Stample talked about some of the tournaments to select and, and you know, the the ones where that pay the two X uh, of the entry fee, but also the ones that pay, you know, more than 20% of the entrance Definitely. period. So uh, is that something you look forward to in terms of percentage of people that are paid?
2: Absolutely. That is something that is on my spreadsheet every single week. When I evaluate the contest, usually once the NFL season starts, you're going to see the same ones. Like, I don't know, let's just say the Hundo, the NFL Hundo it's $10 to enter when usually, I don't know if it's gonna be this way, but usually the min cash, it's there's a hundred people and it, it's called the hundo. It's $10 to enter. Sometimes it's $1, $5, whatever the case may be. But if you finish 20th place, you get two extra money. So a 20% pay line, right? 20 out of hundred people get paid. There's GPPs out there that pay over 22% of the field and two X minimum. So those are the ones I will 100% reserve my entry in early that week. That's always something you should do, too. If you see a good tournament and you don't know what your lineup is, just reserve it. Wait for Saturday or Sunday morning whenever you build your lineups, do your thing then. But finding a pay line that is – there's so many pay lines out there that are like 17 18 19%. Those extra percents in the pay line is a huge difference of your lineup actually making money or losing money. So I feel like it's a no-brainer to, to – again, my friends weren't doing that. They were looking at the million-maker, the pay line. I don't know. I'm speaking – out of my head here, but like 17%. And I was like, well, you only finished two points off the pay line, and that you would have finished like 50th in this thousand man GPP that pays two extra ROI and, and it pays 22% of the field. So just knowing where your money's going, it's just like investing in a stock or anything like that. If if I opened up a company tomorrow and called up or knocked on my neighbor's door, who I don't know very well, I just moved here and told him to invest in this company, he's probably not going to do it, right? Like he's going to look into it. So that's, I think, if your money's out there, you should look about where it's going.
1: That's a really good point. I mean there, there are certain websites that will kind of show you w- with their plugin, you know, what what the payout is from from a 2x standpoint, from your entry free standpoint, but also the percentage of people that are paid, but you can also sticks you can also go to contest details, right? And just literally click on it and do some very like literally one quick Division, and you'll know how many people are, are being paid out in that contest. So, I think it's a really good point. Like, I, I think people are so cavalier with entering contests because they just want to enter the contest, they want to make sure they've got their spot reserved, and they don't want to start picking players. Well, you should probably take the time to see, you know, wh- which contest your money is going in. Because, to Nick's point, there are contests that leave you so enamored what, what, with what first and second place is, and because they have like 30% of all the money going to. First place, well, that's probably not the contest for you because what that's taking money from the back end and and it's potentially paying out just 18 or 19% of the field instead of 22 or 23%. So, those are things if you're going to put your money out there, like you may as well know on the front end and be comfortable with how that money is being paid out.
2: Yeah. I look at it as like getting an extra half point in sports betting. If I'm offering the Bears minus seven and you like the Bears, right? Let's say you like the Bears and I'm offering minus seven, minus 110. And the neighbor sportsbooks offering minus six and a half at minus 110. What are you going to take? Like, you obviously want every single edge you can get, and that extra couple percent in the pay line is a significant edge if you're doing this every single week.
1: So Nick, I'm going to change it up a little bit. I will, I was going, and so, so that did we just cover the three rules? It, it, was there anything we kind of left out there that that you, because I wanted to move to something else real
2: quick. No, definitely. I just think just knowing where your bankroll is going is kind of an obvious one, but I personally wasn't doing it for like two to three years. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? So just knowing where your money's going, know where you're good at. If you're a good MME player, keep playing MME. If you're great at cash games, but you're only putting 10% of your bankroll in cash games and then playing a ton of GPPs, start to invest more in cash games. If you're great at GPPs, know what field size of GPPs you have success in, keep playing those and, you know, just so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good advice, too, in terms of knowing what you're good at. We had Nick, we had Megan Schaup on a few weeks ago and she kind of did a a sort of an assessment of how she's been doing in DFS the last couple of years. And we kind of came to the conclusion that all of us are good at certain things, whether that's playing the main slate or showdown or the afternoon slate or the one o'clock slate or head to head or, you know, cash games, you know, things of that nature. You know, I think to your point, I think cash games are a necessary part of playing NFL DFS, but there are certain types of contests that people are just better at than in other contests. And I think you need to recognize that and pour your money into where you're actually getting a return from. Oh,
2: absolutely. You made a great point there with slate selection too. Like if one of my favorite games, I'll just tell you right now at the moment, it's absolutely gross. And I can maybe back it up once I run my model and everything, but My model likes the pace in the Indy at Houston game and no one's going to play those guys. They're going to be, you know, 2% owned. And if you play the noon only slate, they're probably still going to be two to four or 5% owned. Mm -hmm. But I don't like that game's ability to shoot out. Like I like Las Vegas and and the Chargers and Casey and Arizona, everybody's going to play those games. So, Look at the whole slate and see if there's a bunch of landmines that could run you down, especially if it's a low owned slate. So, for me, uh, one of the best weeks I ever had was actually using, um, oh man, was it Brandon Allen, the backup quarterback for Cincinnati two years ago? Yes, I believe so. And it was at Houston, and I stacked Cincy uh, and I stacked Houston on the run back. I just totally blew up that game, and that game, like, I think ended like. 40 to 35 like it was a complete shootout one of the best DFS weeks I've ever had and it was only the noon only slate too so it would have been great on the main slate but I was too scared to go against all these afternoon KFC or KC and LAC uh, type of shootout offenses that we had going out there but yeah just slate selection in general if you like some other games just kind of figure out other ways that people can beat you and just don't play that slate and just go against the noon onlys or the afternoon only whatever the case may be
1: well, so that's what I wanted to transition to. So before we end the show, I, I do want to talk to you about maybe some of the stacks you like, whether they be the chalky stacks or the contrarian ones, maybe some players, some low-end players that might jump out of you. I, listen, it's July 27th. We are literally six weeks away from the season. So I think some people might kind of chuckle at this, like yeah, it's probably a little <laughs> early. But like I, I am more than willing to talk football and to talk speculative pricing because it's football at the end of the day. So talk to me. I'm, I'm looking at the slate right now. I'm looking at the 1 o'clock and the 4 o'clock games. Of course, you're in, what, Chicago, so that's why you keep saying noon. But I am oh, yeah. Eastern Standard Time-centric, of course. <laughs> My bad. So, I'm, a, I'm an EST snob. So the, the 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock games, is, is there any, anything that's jumping out to you, whether that's players or games, other than that 1 o'clock slate playing perhaps that Houston-Indianapolis uh, game?
2: Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go through the slate real quick, just super fast. Baltimore at the Jets probably don't like anything in that game. Um, I don't really like the pace. Uh, I don't really know what to expect from the Jets offense. I'm definitely not going to play Brees Hall game one against Baltimore, so we'll move on there. Cleveland and Carolina. That one's interesting. I think Nick Chubb could run all over that defense and he'll probably be low owned. Maybe he's a fan duel guy because he's not going to catch passes. McCaffrey's going to be healthy. We'll see Baker Mayfield. I don't know oh, what's the total in that game. It's pretty low. 42. It's probably. And a half. Yeah. yeah, probably won't get there in DFS. Indy Houston, I talked about, I'll get in that one in a little more detail. Jacksonville Washington probably won't have a single player in my player pool there unless Antonio Gibson turns out to be 100 percent healthy and they say they're going to give him the, the keys at the shop, because I always love Gibby. Um, New England and Miami. I do think that's an interesting spot for Devonte Parker. Uh, I'm not a big revenge guy, but Devonte Parker is clearly going to be the the number one wideout and actually move Jacoby Myers back to the slot for every snap where he belongs to be. He is a great slot receiver, but um, it's a divisional game, so I think that probably slows the pace down. And you know, New England is going to run the ball. That's all they're probably going to do. So I do like Devontae Parker if he's. I got him projected for 5200. As a wide receiver, one with touchdown equity, I think that's interesting. We'll see what happens with the pricing. New Orleans and Atlanta, I talked about my love for uh, for Carmichael. I talked about my dislove for Winston. Um, so I don't know. That game certainly got ugly shootout ability. I think the total there is 40, 41 in some sports books. I have it at 43 right now in my model. So I'll probably lean the over in that game and not play much in DFS. Philly-Detroit, I don't think... What do you think about Miles Sanders Week One?
1: I don't mind it because nobody's gonna. I don't think people are going to want to play him. For I obvious think I'm
2: planting my flag there in GPPs. If he's like fifty eight hundred, I think that's what I have him at right now. What do you? What take a guess at Miles Sanders price Week One? What do you think? Uh, I'll go fifty nine. Think he will reach six fifty nine. Okay, so yeah. under six. If he's under six and under ten percent owned. I know Detroit's a little bit better, but that he'll, he'll be under.
1: A he'll be under six. I, I I firmly believe he'll be under six, somewhere in that fifty six hundred to fifty nine hundred range. And everybody, to the extent people are playing that game at all, they're thinking of Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown, of course. Yeah. Nobody's Let's playing Miles up. Sanders. It's a great yeah.
2: big GPP tournament play. I yep. Like it. I think that's going to be. I mean, it's been twenty games since he scored a touchdown, so we're due, right? <laughs> uh, Pitt and Cincinnati. I I think Cincinnati's going to run the ball a lot more this year. I don't think they really, especially in the games that they control. What do they got to be a seven point favorite against Mitch Trubisky and the Pittsburgh? Yeah, like that game probably like mixing. He'll be a great cash game play. I don't think I'll go to Jamar chase or Higgins in that game. I just don't see the pace really being there. I don't see how Pittsburgh's going to score. Um, San Fran, Chicago, probably a pass, maybe Elijah Mitchell, depending on his health. It seems, I don't know. It seems like they're kind of, talking up his knee injury a bit too much that Shanahan says it's going to be a committee because Elijah Mitchell was so damn good last year and he rarely left the field when they needed to score. So I find it hard to believe it'll be a a committee. Green Bay, Minnesota, I think Green Bay is going to be a team that runs the ball a ton too. So I I hope ownership goes to that game, but it's very likely everybody's just going to play KC, Arizona, and Las Vegas in the Chargers. So I'm not saying... Don't play the Chiefs or anything like that, but I think everybody and their brother is going to go Mahomes and Kelsey as the stack, and I'm going to play a ton of what I hope to be a 5200 McCool Hardman, and right. that will be my exposure to that game. Arizona side, I'll probably run it back with like Zach Ertz, because I probably won't afford Kelsey, because um, I th- if I were to guess right now, this is the most disgusting thing ever. My main lineup will be Davis Mills and Nico Collins for Houston with um, the narrative that Indianapolis is going to beat the doors off them. So I will have Jonathan Taylor, who's going to probably be the most expensive player on the slate. He'll be my run back there. Maybe throw Michael Pittman in and hope that game goes to, you know, 45, 50 points and then just get one offs from Casey Arizona and maybe a little bit of Las Vegas and the chargers. I love it. That sounds so I, I won't I won't be full stacking that afternoon hammer games that everybody's gonna play. Um, but I, I will get exposure to it so it doesn't kill me, but I'll be getting exposure to the people, the guys that people aren't playing in that game. Everybody's gonna choose Kelsey as tight end one on that slate. So I'll go to Zach Ertz. And then I think everybody again, everybody's gonna choose Kelsey. And I don't think people expect a whole lot from McCole Hardman. I have heard many in the industry talk him up, but I think he really, you know, they drafted him for a reason a couple of years ago. I think he is the heir apparent to Tyreek Hill. He's no Tyreek Hill, but he is very fast, and he was very, very useful for them in the playoffs last year. It's like you look at his season-long stats, there's nothing much there. So his ADP is super cheap, too. So that's a guy I love. But, yeah, I think Miles Sanders and McCole Hartman, if they are sub-10% ownership, which I would bet a lot of money they are, those will probably be my two GPP dandies, other than Nico Collins, my boy. Well, if there was a time Davis a, Mills,
1: <laughs> if there were if there was a time for McCall Hardman to break out, it certainly would be this season without Tyreek and with a receiver core that is very questionable. All right, Nick, that's going to wrap it up. But I got to ask you, what do you have coming up that we can look forward to, whether that be on the PGA side or the NFL side?
2: Yeah, so we do the Better Golf Podcast, like you said earlier, Better B E T T O R Golf Pod on Twitter um, every single week, and I'm currently working for when daily doing our season long projections. So I'm going team by team. I try to do at least one team to two teams per day um, to get ready for, I want everything to be done by like August 20th. And at the rate I'm at, it should be earlier than that, that we're done, but I want to have every single game. The way I do projections, it's super asinine probably i'm sure there's way more automation that could be worked into it but i'll literally go through every single team and every single game project what the spreads will be and i think Superbook out in colorado actually does have the spread for every single game of the season out right now i will use that as a little bit of a baseline but my model is all based on vegas history so if you know, the Bears are a seven-point dog. How often does the offensive coordinator of the Bears and his, you know, coaching staff throw? It's not about when did the Bears throw when they're seven-point dogs and the total's 42 or whatever the case may be. It's what does that coaching staff do in those situations in Vegas history? So it's a lot of data that goes into it, but I it seems to be very, very successful with betting player props and everything by the time I'm finally done around August 20th. So that's what I'm doing right now.
1: I love it. All right. Yeah. Well, Nick. Uh, at StixPix. You can follow him on Twitter at StixPix. Again, that's S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. Nick, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Um, This has been yet another off-season series episode, and we're going to have another one next week. We're going to be doing a lot of game theory, player analysis as we lead up to the season. And we will see you next time on Fantasy Football Today, DFS.